Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. We strive to lead people to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. Our goal is to tear down the walls that have kept people away from church to help them build a relationship with God, our Creator. We are so glad you're tuning in today. We hope and pray that this leads you to Jesus and His path for your life. So, without further ado, here is today's teaching. Today, we are kicking off a brand new teaching series called Enemies of the Heart. And it's all about overcoming these, uh, these emotions that can control us. You ever been controlled by an emotion? And then you step back and like, that wasn't even me. I was not even in control right then. That was just some, something came over me and it took over, but it, it'll change parts of your life. And so I'll talk a little bit more about enemies of the heart in just a second. But I want to talk about the heart as we get going, because the heart's pretty important, isn't it? Like it's a pretty important part of our body. Without our heart, we'd be uh, dead. And so <laughs> we need our heart. Man, I, I can't tell you how many times I think about my heart every day, actually, that's not true at all. I never think about my heart. I never, ever think about my heart. I think I'm almost at the age where you start thinking about your heart. Some of you guys are like, man, I got a pill I take for my heart every day. But I do have a seventh grade son, okay? And he's a pretty fit kid, and he loves to run, and sometimes I'll try to race him. And one of my goals in life is to always be able to beat my son at everything. I recognize that's unrealistic. But, <laughs> but here's the thing. Um, I don't know what a heart attack feels like. But I do know that for me, it's probably just past racing my son on the beach. Like, I can still take him, but like, it's not much longer before I understand what a heart attack feels like. Uh, it's pretty important to keep our hearts healthy. According to heartfoundation.org, here's some good things to keep your heart healthy. You know this, right? So if you're taking notes today, write this down. This is important for your heart health. Be smoke-free. Manage your blood cholesterol. Manage your blood pressure. Manage diabetes. Be physically active. Achieve and maintain a healthy weight. Enjoy a variety of nutritional foods. And look after your mental health. Okay, so these are things that you're like, okay, I kind of get that about my health. And the heart is pretty important. It's a, it's a pivotal part of how our body functions. Our blood circulates because of our heart. And when you have a strong heart, you can generally be pretty healthy. And when you have a weak heart, other things begin to fail. The church, uh, you know, our big thing is not cardiovascular health. Like, that's not what we're here to talk about. Like, if you got a diabetes issue, you're at the wrong clinic. That's not what we do. We're talking today about another kind of heart. In fact, the other heart. It's the heart that philosophers and songwriters and, I guess, preachers talk about. It's the heart that I'm going to refer to today as our spiritual heart. Jesus gives us this instruction that we are to love the Lord with how much of our heart? All of our heart. And so it seems to me that it's pretty important to understand what this thing is. And more importantly, is it possible for us to love him with less than all of our heart? Is it possible that we don't have a healthy heart at times? Is it possible that like in our physical life, there could be some obstructions and some things in the way that keep us from fully engaging our heart in loving God? And so um, for four weeks, we're going to spend time talking about engaging, uh, attacking, and surgically removing these enemies of our heart. We're going to address four of them, and they're all emotions that we kind of deal with on a daily basis. The, the four emotions are guilt, greed, anger, and jealousy. And these are things that if any one of those hits the nail on the head for you, you know it eats you up. Or maybe it isn't right now, but it has in the past, or you know that in the future it could. These are enemies of our heart. In the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament says this, and this is kind of him speaking from the words of God. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure. Who can understand it? 
If you ever fell in love as a middle schooler, you know that this is true. There are things you're like, I want this, I need this, I must have it. And you're like, it is poison to your life. You don't need it. You shouldn't want it. You shouldn't have it. And so God is aware that this kind of spiritual, philosophical heart of ours is very important to identify who we are and how we relate to God and how we relate to other people. But it's also easy for us to get duped by our heart. It's easy for someone to kind of pull our heart strings, as they say. It's easy for somebody to come in and kind of control and manipulate our heart. And it's also easy for us to lose control and let certain emotions guide where we go. For us Jesus followers, the goal is that we would love God with all of our heart. If you're here today and you're not sure where you like would identify yourself and your faith, like I don't know if I'm a Christian, like I kind of have faith, or like maybe you're just exploring church, I kind of I want you to know that God is an all-in God. He has gone all in on us, and He wants us to go all in on Him. And He's also given us tools to kind of kind of uh, focus ourselves when we're not all in. And so let's spend the next four weeks really just unpacking that. So. Um, the question at, that we start with every week uh, for this series is going to be, what is lodged in my heart that might be causing me to not fully operate and fully uh, give my life, my heart to God? Today, let's discuss guilt. Guilt. Um, now, you might have a, a background in church where you're like, dude, all the preacher ever did was talk about guilt. <laughs> all he ever did was try to make me feel guilty. Uh, my first memory of guilt that, I mean, I know I did things wrong before this, but my first memory of like feeling really guilty, I was in fourth or fifth grade. My dad had gotten me a BB gun for Christmas. And, and we, uh, we had some rules with the BB gun, standard gun safety rules. You keep the muzzle pointed down range and, and don't shoot your brother and stuff like that. Uh, but there was one rule that my dad tacked on specifically for us, and it was do not shoot the birds in the backyard. Some of you are getting ahead of me. You know exactly where this is going. <laughs> so what I do, cut to the chase. I'm out in the backyard one day, and there was this beautiful blue jay, man. He was just sitting up on like the fence. And I, I promise you, he said to me, he looked at me, and he said, I bet you can't shoot me. He did. Like, that's what I, at least that's what I heard. And so I was like, and it was one of those pump ones. And the more times you pumped it, the more deadly it was. So I pumped it about 150 times. And then point, shoot, and uh, down he went. Um, At first I was like, yeah. And then I walked over and I saw his poor little bird body. And I was like, oh man. And I just just didn't feel good about it all of a sudden. Uh, Partially because there was this dead bird and I was realizing the permanence of death. I'm like, man, this thing's dead. It's gone. Partially because, like, I had got a great shot and I couldn't tell anybody. Couldn't tell anybody. (laughs) This is against the rules. Can't tell anybody. Uh... Truth be told, I did go tell my dad eventually, and he, he may, I, I'm, I'm, I need to like just ask him, like, does he remember? Uh, he probably does. He probably laughed and went inside after he disciplined me. Um, but I think he made me bury the bird, and they took away my BB gun for a while. Fitting punishment, right? Uh, but that's the first time I remember feeling really guilty, like walking away from that being like, man, that just, it just kind of stuck right here. There is a good side of guilt, like, I shouldn't have shot the bird. I shouldn't have disobeyed my dad. Like, that. there's a good side of guilt. Um, as we talk about guilt, I'm convinced that there is a healthy guilt, but I think there's also a level of guilt or a side of guilt that's not healthy. And it's the kind that can get lodged in our hearts and really affect how we uh, interact with people and interact with God. And it's this kind of guilt that I want to kind of unpack today and understand. There's a cool thing that we do in, in grammar, in English grammar. It's called verbification or verbing. You know what this is? It's when you take a noun 
and you treat it like a verb. We do it all the time. Uh, Google is a noun. Hold up. Let me Google that. It's a verb, something that you do. And we do this with a lot of things, and uh, guilt is one of those words. Guilt is, at its foundation, it's a noun. It's a set of facts that, uh, this is what the, the dictionary says, the fact of having committed a specified or implied offense or crime. Okay, so this is a list of things you can or can't do, and I broke that list. Guilt is a fact. You did something wrong. So when you go to court, you know, ideally, the judge, the jury, everybody, their, their goal is to pull out the facts and this is what happened, and you either have guilt or you don't. But we like to verbify guilt, and how often have you been guilted into doing something, or how often have you tried to guilt someone else into doing what you wanted them to do, instead of taking some facts and objectively look at them and saying, this is true, or this is not true, or this is okay, or it's not okay. It's like, let me persuade you, make you feel bad, and then I'll get you to do something or get you to not do something. And so guilt is interesting like that. During this series, I'm going to be borrowing some language from a book by the same name that's inspired the title, Enemies of the Hearts, by Andy Stanley, who is a Christian author and pastor. And, um, and he talks about these enemies of the heart having what he calls a debt-to-debtor dynamic. He says these emotions, guilt, anger, jealousy, and greed, put you in a position of debt to someone else for some reason. And it causes an imbalance in the relationship. You've seen this. If you owe money to someone or vice versa, they owe money to you, you know this can be the case. No matter what else is going on at the moment, the debt is always in the room with you. And so the way this works for guilt is there's a debt-debtor dynamic. And here's what guilt says. This is the debt-debtor dynamic. Guilt says, I owe you. I owe you. Because guilt is a result of having done something that we perceive to be wrong. And as a result, we feel like we're indebted to someone for it. For me, it was, I guess, I was indebted to the Blue Jay. Uh, you know, shouldn't have shot the Blue Jay. Sorry, buddy. I was indebted to my dad. He'd give me some rules. I broke the rules. And anytime you experience the facts of guilt, then comes the emotional portion of it, which is this debt-to-debtor relationships. I now owe someone for something that happened. And the facts are that I was guilty. But when it's allowed those guilty facts are allowed to rise up in our hearts and seat themselves in there, and we don't deal with the emotional side of it, it begins to affect how we treat the person. Like if we took an honest assessment of the guilt we feel or that we felt in our life, I think that we would probably see that by having guilt inside us, uh, there's this nagging sense of, I owe you. Um, it's a debt-to-debtor relationship. We use this language all the time. Someone messes up, what do you do? You owe them an apology. It's a debt-to-debtor relationship. We may buy something or do something extra nice for your spouse if you, you mess up, you know? I don't want to sleep on the couch or whatever. I'm buying roses. This is like our societal thing. We do. I owe you because I'm guilty. We take our kids somewhere special if we've somehow, you know, wronged them. We make up for things by attempting to buy our way back into someone's life. And so if you grew up in a home that might have been broken or maybe you had a parent that was absent a lot, you might have received a lot of gifts from that person. And there's a good chance it's because they really felt bad for being gone. And they wanted to make it up to you. And so that's why you got all the stuff that you got. And you were probably cool with that. But now you realize, oh, man, I wish that I would have known, right? Maybe you've, you've cheated and you've been hiding something for all these years. Maybe you've lashed out in some way. Maybe you hurt someone years ago. And we start to carry with us this guilt. And here's what happened. Deep down inside of our heart, this emotion is still vying for a piece of control of you because you owe them. And it affects your relationship with them and ultimately relationship with God. Because here's the thing. When people owe you, uh, they're the people that you tend to not see much. 
you lend someone 50 bucks, they don't have it to pay back, they might find themselves not as present in your life all of a sudden. Or when you owe somebody for something, you're like, shoot, I forgot to pay them back. It's constantly nagging. And so I want to set that up because there's this debt to debt relationship. And we got to feel, we got to figure out how to get past that. Because there's something more that God wants to do with our guilt. And then he wants to let us move past it. That's ultimately his goal. I believe there is a way to overcome the life-altering, guilty feeling. And we live in a society that talks a lot about our feelings. And that's not how we're supposed to treat the Bible and God's truth. I feel this way about it. I feel that way about it. But that's often how we approach God. We need to sometimes step back from our feelings, objectively look what actually happened, and see how can I move forward beyond it. And I believe that the way to deal with these kind of secrets of our heart this is the way the Bible prescribes over and over. We need to drag those dark moments of our life into the light every time. We bring it out in the open. We examine it. And each one of these different enemies of the heart are going to kind of be examined in different ways. And so here's what we got to do with our guilt. Okay, it's going to give us one word. One word, and this is going to be moving forward as we get into the Bible this morning. The word is confession. Confession frees the heart from the oppressive power of guilt confession. Uh, every week we love to look to the Bible for God's most important truth, and we're going to be kind of bouncing around to a couple different scriptures this week, and so if you want to grab it and try to keep up, you can. Uh, take some notes. There's a note card in the little cup holder in your seat, and the scriptures are also going to be on the screen behind me, but I think this could be something that could really unpack some mess that's going on in the background of your life that you could free yourself from, let God free you from, let Jesus free you from, and move forward. I want to start with what's one of my favorite verses. It's in First John Chapter 1, verse 9. And this is just kind of talking about confession. What does confession do for us? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is a promising verse. That there is a way to receive forgiveness for when we've messed up. There's a way to move past. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. When we mess up, what should we do? Well, there's going to kind of be two things that we can do to relieve ourselves of guilt and uh, through God. This is the first thing. We confess to God. We confess to God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. That's a, that's a big promise. We confess. Now, we don't confess just to feel better. Like, uh, that's kind of what, you know, my kids do. When they get in an argument, I'm like, tell your sister you're sorry. And I'm sorry. You know, it's like, you know, you don't just like say it. There, there, there's a goal. Our goal behind confessing to God is change. That we will move beyond what's happened in the past and we will act differently in the future. And we will do differently in the future. God is faithful and just. He will forgive us. That's incredible. But what about the change? There is a problem with this verse. There's nothing wrong with the verse itself. The verse is true. There's a problem with sometimes how we perceive this concept of confession and forgiveness. Because what happens when I've got guilt in my life, I take it to God, maybe I pray about it, I write it out in a journal, and I just open it up to God. God, I've messed up. Please forgive me. And he's faithful and just, he will forgive us, and he will purify us, make us righteous, right? That's great, that's fantastic. But what happens tomorrow when we do it again? Well, according to the verse, confess your sins to God. He's faithful and righteous and just, and he will forgive you, and he'll make you righteous. 
Okay, what about the third day? Well, according to the verse, he's faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our unrighteousness, and he will purify us and make us righteous. What about the fourth day? What about the fifth day? See, there's this thing, this cycle that begins to happen in our mind. In fact, sometimes uh, I think people think of it as like a spiritual loophole, like a license to sin. Sin again, be forgiven, rinse and repeat. Just keep doing that. And as long as I remember to ask for forgiveness, as long as I remember to confess to God, like I'm good. But that puts us in a weird situation. First of all, what if you forget one? I mean, like, God's like, I'm keeping track. And like, you're like one behind. So sorry. Like, that's not how it works. God's grace is bigger than that. And what happens when we get in a place where we're actually not even interested in the change that God brings in our life? I have a lot of friends who grew up Catholic. Maybe you did. That's, that's cool. That's great. But when, when you take the, the Catholic, Catholic sacrament of confession that some of my Catholic friends have done and use it as a license to sin, like I'm not even painting a broad stroke of what Catholics believe. But I have friends who have told me, it's okay. We can go to this party and do whatever we want because I'll just go to confession this weekend. That is like come out of their mouth. Why? That, they either were taught that somewhere or they perceived that somewhere. And that's that vicious cycle of confessing to God but not being changed. And so I think the process of some formal set up confession time, the, the Bible doesn't command that, but I think it's probably a good idea. We should probably set up some times. But only if our intention is to be changed and to live a life that honors God. It's not that we're going to be perfect after that. It's just that my goal is to be able to make some changes. Uh, and maybe that's been you. I know it's been me from time to time. It's easy to start to rationalize our sins and our mistakes because, I mean, life happens, right? Temptations come, and we think, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Is that just me? Are we in the same boat? So where does this confession leading to change start to take place in our life? Um, if we don't get out of the mindset that change has to happen in our life, we are missing what God is offering us. We're missing it. I got a dear friend from high school who has a drug problem. He's been busted by his family over and over and over again. And he'll sober up. And once he sobers up or he gets out of jail or he gets out of the hospital or whatever situation he's gotten into that time, he'll come back to his family and he'll say, you know, what I did was wrong. I'm so sorry. It'll never happen again. And then his wife, you know, forgives him. And his kids say, it's okay, Dad. And then he gets back in. And then, but he doesn't go to his, you know, rehab groups. He doesn't, doesn't get rid of the influence in his life that are bringing these drugs back into his life. He doesn't make any changes. And then what happens a month later? It all happens again. And if we continue to just pretend like we want to change, but we don't take any of the steps on our own to make change happen in our lives, I mean, God is faithful and just. And I don't know how far the tendrils of his grace reach. I know it's way bigger than I would. <laughs> but what God wants for us is change. Because not only does he want us to not be stuck in our mess, he also wants us to live a full life. That's what he's given us. Not just barely holding on from day to day, but thriving in the life that he created us to live. And I think on some level, we all struggle with that. Maybe not a drug addiction, but there's something. In fact, it's even more dangerous for some of us because the, the, the mess ups in our life and the sin in our life might be easier to keep secret. 
No one finds us passed out on the side of the road. <laughs> so we can just keep on doing it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. Oh, it won't happen again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Confessing to God is a, is a great uh, first step. I mean, God is the one who has the power to forgive and to change us. But I think that's just the first part of understanding this confession thing, to unpack the guilt in our hearts so that we can move forward. Um, there's more that we can do. I, I believe there's more that we should do. And I think it comes as we become more mature in our walk with God that this second phase starts to take a really strong presence in our life. If we really want to get rid of guilt and dislodge it from our hearts, we have to move beyond just saying words to God, confessing to God. A lot of times our sin or our guilt is actually against other people. It's not that we're just like abstractly sinning against God. In fact, more often than not, the stuff that we do that's bad and wrong is affecting other people. And I'm willing to bet that if you took a stock of your life, it wouldn't take long for you to think of someone that you've hurt. Someone that you probably IOU to, right? Um, and so there's a second thing that I think we can take a next level and it really begins to purge our heart from this guilt. And it's this. We confess publicly. Hold up. <laughs> what did he just say? Like, this church just went too far. Pack up. We got to go get the kids. Like, this is one of those weird churches. They're going to start standing up and everybody's going to start saying all their deepest, dark secrets. Like, listen, this is the thing. I, if I look at my life, I want you to hear what I'm saying. We confess publicly. The first one is we confess to God. The second is we confess publicly. If, if I, you know, imagine this could happen. Let's say I lose my temperature. My temperature. I get really cold. Let's say I lose my temper with my son, okay? And like I flip out on him and I mean, that probably would never happen. But like if it did, I wouldn't need to like write a letter to the editor of the, you know, star paper and like everyone in the city needs to know. No, what I need to do to confess publicly is I need to go sit with my son and I need to talk to him about what I did. And for the record, I've done that several times with my son. You know Why? because no one gave me the stinking handbook for raising my son. I have no idea what I'm doing. Any other parents in the house? Whoop, whoop. Yeah. So every day we're just like, okay, new challenge. And sometimes I've taken it too far. Or sometimes I've just lost my temper with him. And I've had to pull him aside and say, bud, what dad did was not okay. That's not, I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. I shouldn't have done that. That's not how I want to address you. I should have pulled away and thought, now, what you did might have been wrong. You probably still deserve the discipline, but you didn't deserve what happened. And so... That's the kind of public confession. We need to learn to confess publicly to the degree to which we have offended. So if it's to my wife, I need to talk to my wife. If it's to my whole family, I need to sit down with my whole family. And for the record, I have done both of those as well. And I hope that's something that you've been able to do or will learn to do. We can't continue to carry the posture that we never mess up. But we do have to be willing to own up to what we've done wrong and say, I, I just need to confess my sin to you. If you did it on Facebook... That was pretty public. You might need to be pretty publicly apologizing. If you did it at work, you might need to pull all your coworkers together and let them know. To the degree to which you have offended and have the guilt, the noun, you need to step up and confess. Because only then will we begin to free ourselves from the mess that's holding us down. Yes, you may still deserve and need uh, some sort of discipline in your life. You may need some help. You may need some next steps beyond that. But we've got to go and be willing to look someone in the eye and let them know that we're aware of our offense. And just like when we confess to God, we're not doing it just for a feel good. It's not just a quick release of guilt feeling. It's for change. 
It's because I want to change. I want to be different. I want to be a different type of dad. I want to be a different type of husband. I want to be a different type of person in this work environment because I want to be able to move forward past this. You got that. All right. In the Bible, confession always had a public nature to it. Um, it was never like this secret kind of, as Christians, modern Christians, there's this tendency to kind of, we don't really talk about our feelings ever. And we just kind of, I'm good. You're good. Brother, sister, we're all good. That ain't true. And it's not how God intended us to live in community with each other. Looking all the way back to Numbers chapter 5, verse 6 through 7, this is when God first is giving his, his uh, orderly system for how the Jewish people should organize themselves. He says this, Any man or woman who wrongs another in any way and, is, and so is unfaithful to the Lord is guilty and must confess the sin they have committed. You see the connection, the correlation between guilt and confession. They must make full restitution for the wrong they have done, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it all to the person they have wronged. This concept of going to someone and making it right, making it more than right, is good because this is, this is why. If guilt says, I owe you, you can go ahead and deal with your debt and move on. And I know in many cases this isn't always possible. The person that you need to talk to may not be available anymore. Like they won't even listen to you anymore. They may have passed on. They might not be with us in this world anymore. There might be a number of reasons why they're not, it's not possible. Uh, but God wants us to do our best to drag the darkness of our heart into the light. And so maybe it's just do the best you can. Write it out and give it to someone else or whatever it takes. Dragging it into the light. And suddenly when we do that, uh, we've been working a lot in houses uh, with mold uh, through DART ILM, this, this organization we've started to work in, in the, the flood-affected places from the hurricane. And you know something that's very prominent is mold. And the thing we got to do with this mold is get it out of the darkness. You can't let it live behind the sheetrock and in the insulation. It's got to come out. It's got to be exposed to fresh air and, when possible, light, because that is the thing that's going to allow this stuff to, to die, and it's the same thing in our hearts. So we confess to God because we want change. And we also confess to people because we want change. And it's not just a conscience relief thing. It's a change of life. Let me tell you uh, uh, read you another scripture. This is from James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. There is power to confessing publicly. And I think it's because along with this talking to another human being thing comes follow-up. We typically call it accountability. I have a few different groups of guys that I can do this with. Uh, for me, the, the one where it happens most is this group of five guys, four guys plus myself. Uh, we've been buddies since, uh, since college. We've been friends over 20 years. We, um, we just, we, we're, we're just a tight-knit group. I tell stories about them all the time. Uh, we love to cut up. We'll do all kinds of crazy things. It's insane, the stuff we get into. Uh, but we also talk serious about our spiritual life. That's one part of our friendship that I love. And one thing we do is we confess to each other. Like, we don't just, like... We don't just come around and sit around a campfire and like tell all of our deepest, darkest secrets all the time, though that's happened from time to time. But we have an outlet to confess to someone. Maybe I haven't offended them, but maybe I just have sin in my life that I just got to talk about. And I can call one of these people and I can say, listen, this is what's going on. I needed to get that off my mind because I want you to know that I'm trying to change. And the cool thing that comes with that is accountability. Because then this person has an open door into my life and they can call me back and they have. And they'll call me and they'll say, hey, how are you doing with this? Or how are you doing with that? 
having people in our life, not just the people that we've offended, but also people that can help us grow, help us mature, is also part of this public confession thing. Having a regular uh, scheduled appointment with someone is huge. And it's not that every week would I come and just share our deepest, darkest things. Hopefully, as you grow, those moments will come times of growth where you can celebrate, where you can read the Bible, where you can pray together, where you can do all kinds of things together. Uh, But confessing secretly to God, though it's good, is only part of the equation. Having a human being in our life that we can allow to pour into us and hold us accountable and help us grow is why God's given us his kingdom. It's why he's given us each other. It's why he's given us the church. Um, These relationships, I realize, don't just happen. Like I said, we've been friends about 20 years. Like 20 years ago, we were more likely to encourage each other to get in trouble than to (laughs) to encourage each other to do good. So it takes time. It doesn't take 20 years. I've seen it happen over a weekend with people who just say, okay, we're on the same page. Let's just work together. But it takes intentionality. And so I I recognize that, as I say, we need to have people in our lives that we can confess to. Uh, There might be a group of you in this room right now who are like, okay, who? Who? Like, I've been coming to church here for a long time. I still don't feel like I have a real close friend here. Maybe... You do have friends, but like all you really talk about is sports and the weather. I'm talking to you dudes, okay? We gotta have guys that we talk about our emotions with, like suck it up and talk about your feelings. Otherwise, everything else in your life is not gonna go well. I'm just gonna tell you that's true, okay? You've gotta be able to address these things. And so maybe you've got those friends, but you just can't talk about You gotta cultivate these relationships. I wanna tell you, I, I can't like prescribe like this is the way you do it. Every relationship seems to develop differently. But I wanna tell you about a couple of opportunities in our church family that we have that maybe you could capitalize on. Uh, the first one that I, that I go to is my micro group. Our micro groups are groups of three to five people that they try to meet weekly, and their goal is just to encourage each other to grow as God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. And I know there's a handful of microgroups that are right here represented in this room, and I think we all meet differently. Like some of you are studying like a book together. Some of you, my, me and my microgroup, we like didn't meet for a long time because we were lazy. And so like week before last, we played disc golf because we were like, we just need to get together and then move forward. We have a text thread that we're constantly on talking to each other. But we do get together. We pray together. We laugh together. We cry together. And because over the last like three or four years, as the, the, the group from my church, our church that we've been meeting with has been meeting, we have grown in our relationship and our trust with each other. Uh, a microgroup is really easy to start. Um, I say it's really easy to start. It does take some effort. You need to find one or two other people and say to them, would you be interested in starting a microgroup with me? That's, and that's a hard sentence to get out of your mouth, especially if you're like, I'm not sure that they would want to do this. There's a good chance that if you already have a friendship with that person, that they might say, especially if they're sitting here right now, they might say, yeah, yeah, that would be cool. Let's talk about what that looks like. I believe there's some cards out at our, our Connection Hub that have microgroup written on them with some instructions on how to do it. If I'm wrong about that and you want one, let me know. I can email you one. But they're just little business card-sized things, and it just has like uh, a couple questions you can ask each other, a little guideline. There's no rules. The idea, though, is to get together and practice that sacred art of talking about spiritual things. Uh, there's a couple others. I'll go through them more quickly. We've got small groups that meet together. Uh, you can visit our website, jointheventure.com slash smallgroups, and there's a whole list of groups that meet, some of them uh, every other week, some of them every week. Some of them are kind of age-focused. Some of them are focused around activities. But just to start the process of making some friends, maybe that would be the best place for you to jump in. Uh, our men and our women both have events every year. Uh, our men's retreat is in March. The women's retreat, I think, has been messed up by Hurricane Florence, and so we're working that out. Uh, 
but every year we have an opportunity for you to gather together. Uh, guys, I'm going to promise you, we will not sit around on the fire holding hands, singing kumbaya, talking about our feelings. We will build a really big fire. Uh, and we'll try to break the world record of who can build the most, biggest, most ridiculous fire. But there will be an opportunity for you to meet guys and have a venue to begin some of these friendships because it's vital for unplugging our hearts. Uh, and so there, start somewhere. It could be easily just invite somebody to go to lunch with you today another family that you want to get to know better. As we wrap up the day, guilt says, I owe you. This is the debt-to-debtor relationship that guilt creates in our heart. And if it festers there long enough, it will ruin your spiritual heart. It'll be like a blood clot that will shut you down. And maybe you've had a specific guilt lodged in your heart for years, maybe, maybe decades, Maybe it was something you did, something you said, someone that you hurt, someone that you wronged. You know, it's easy to repress the memory, just sweep it under the rug and say, ah, it didn't happen. You don't have to live much life to realize that the more stuff we sleep, sweep under the rug, the more that rug's going to burst one day and just get all messy. And so instead what we can do is start to deal with it, start to bring it to God, drag it into the light. Get people in our life that we can begin to share that guilt with. Why? Not to just relieve the pain of the guilt, but for change. Because I believe that God has something for each one of us, a life that he has created us to live, a purpose, a mission in this world. One of those missions is that we can tell other people in our life what God has done in our lives so that they can be led to Jesus, so they can be led to know his grace, his salvation, his love. And so don't let this little festering thing that's going on inside of your heart be an enemy that's going to shut you down, give you a heart attack. But let's move forward and past that so that we can be healed. So right now, uh, if you are thinking of a person or an instance in your life, maybe through this whole time, guilt has just brought some things up in your life. You know, we're not a church that like, is like a guilt trip church, but guilt's a real thing, and there's a healthy side of it. And it is addressing the facts that this is where I went wrong. I want to encourage you to take those individuals and those instances, man up, woman up, teenager up, whatever up you need to do, and address it. And you can start right here today by confessing it to God. God, I've been hiding this from you too long. I've been trying to deal with it on my own too long. I want your help. I want your power in my life. Maybe you, you need to talk to someone about becoming a Christian. Like maybe that's not happened for you in your life. You never openly confessed that you believe in Jesus and you want him to guide your life. Maybe you need some help with that. We're going to have some guys that could, could help you talk to that in just a minute uh, if, if you want that. I believe that this power of God only comes into our life when we fully submit to him. Uh, We become Christians. We go into the waters of baptism and that commitment moment. His Holy Spirit comes alongside us. And so maybe you don't have that in your life. You need to learn more about it. Man, stick around. Come back one more week. We're going to be talking about these enemies. And I'm going to tell you what, if you've got a bunch of things plugging up your heart, uh, great. (laughs) We're going to do some heart surgery for the next month. But maybe that's just you. You just need to to start some steps. And maybe you've done all that. But it's time for you to start addressing some people in your life that you need to talk to. You start with your spouse or your kids or your roommate or someone that you're with all the time. Start working it out. I'm going to tell you, once you drag that into the light, oh, man, it feels so much better. You don't have to carry it around anymore. It doesn't have to weigh you down anymore. And then we can do what our goal is. Jesus said we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart. 
and we can take out the things that are bogging us down and keeping us from doing that and invest in loving him and shine a light in this world. God is good. God is good. God is full of grace. He wants you to experience healing. If you have a church background experience where your impression of God is that he wants you to experience guilt, that is not true. He wants you to experience healing, forgiveness, and new life in him. That's what Jesus came for, for us to do. So let's confess. Confess to him. Confess to people in this world. And begin to remove this enemy of our heart. Uh, let me pray for us this morning. God, you're good. And I just praise you for giving us the opportunity to free our hearts from just the, the drama that's held us down. Um, there are so many different, I guess, enemies of our heart. But guilt is one that... Uh, it's persistent, and I pray that as we move past today, we can be a people that's not a people of guilt, but a people of, of new life, of second chances, of forgiveness. Uh, Lord, as we step into whatever new life you've given us every day, Father, I pray that you give us uh, the faith to take big steps, that we can just uh, love you with our actions, and that we can serve you with our lives. We love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.